tonight pouring public money into private clinics. The growing push to ease the surgical strain on Canadian hospitals. Ontario's plan to battle punishing delays. We're going to have to pay one way or the other. It kind of frightens me, to be fair. Deepening the debate on how to heal an ailing health care system. A Canadian aid worker fresh off the front lines of Ukraine. All the small villages, all the bigger towns, they're gone. Dangerous deliveries and an urgent plea. Plus the takedown of a top mafia boss. The arrest is a very, very important event. A notorious crime leader now in custody after eluding the law for 30 years. CTV National News with Omar Sachedina. Good evening, everyone. Part of being Canadian means having access to public health care when you need it. But tonight, the country's biggest province is giving a bigger role to private clinics. Ontario says its plan will help the 206,000 people waiting for surgical procedures. Across the country, many agree the system is struggling. But as CTV's Heather Wright reports, there's a lot less unity on how to fix it. So this is an x-ray of a patient who's... For hundreds of thousands, waiting hurts. It's painful. Uh, sleep is difficult. People like Bruce Kentner, who needs a hip replacement. He's not a fan of a two-tier system, but says something needs to change. It's not the greatest plan, but it's a plan. It's better than what we've had in the past. Today, Ontario announced it will move thousands of surgeries and diagnostic procedures to private specialized clinics, a plan aimed to free up space in hospitals that are stretched thin. We're going to chip away at this, and we're going to do it safely. We're going to do it cautiously. But critics argue this move will also chip away at the universal health care system. I think a lot of people stand to make a lot of money off of this, but I don't think it's actually the most efficient use of uh, public dollars. And it comes at a time when the health care system is facing an unprecedented staffing crisis, with many fearing this plan will lure doctors and nurses away from hospitals. We're 24,000 nurses short in this province right now. Where are we going to find the resources to go into these private clinics? Starting this year, cataract surgeries will move to the so-called community clinics, followed by MRI and CT scans. Hip and knee replacements will begin next year. In 2010, Saskatchewan began using private for-profit clinics to perform certain day surgeries. Five years later, its wait times were among the lowest in the country. Today, the Prime Minister said he'll be watching how Ontario's plan unfolds, while hinting they're getting closer to a new health care deal. There are lots of things that we're working on with the provinces and I, I look forward uh, uh, to being able to uh, announce uh, positive steps forward in the very near future. Ontario's Premier reiterated today patients will not pay out of pocket for procedures at these clinics. They will continue to be covered by provincial health insurance. Omar. All right, Heather, thank you. And as you saw, the Prime Minister was in Saskatchewan today, but the Premier, Scott Moe, said he had no advance warning. A total surprise that's left him disappointed. I have not personally reached out. My office has reached out. There was an apology that was provided uh, for not uh, uh, informing of, us of his visit. Indigenous leaders are also disappointed. The Prime Minister didn't visit Star Blanket Cree Nation after last week's discovery of suspected unmarked graves and a child's remains at the site of a former residential school. Hello, everyone. Trudeau was in Saskatoon to visit a plant that processes rare earth elements used in electric vehicle batteries.
Quebec Provincial Police found the remains of three missing workers at the site of last Thursday's fire and explosion at a propane facility north of Montreal. The tragic discovery comes one day after the community came together for prayer. The bodies will be sent to Montreal to be identified. And more bodies are being pulled from the mangled apartment building in Ukraine's Dnipro after a deadly Russian strike. 40 people have died, including three children. Rescuers scoured the debris for a third straight day, searching for survivors. More than two dozen are still missing. Further east in the bloody battle for Bakhmut, a Canadian doctor working with the Ukrainian army has been killed on the front lines. CTV News has confirmed that Greg Sekmistrenko died in an assault by Russia's mercenary force. He is the third known Canadian citizen to be killed in combat in Ukraine. There are more from this country who are risking their lives to help. CTV's Adrian Gobriel speaks to one such man who has just returned from his mission. These U.S. tanks and armored vehicles arrived today at a Danish port to take part in a NATO training exercise. To the south in Ukraine, the time for military drills has long since passed. Few Canadians know that better than civilian Adam Oak. There was a large explosion, a large missile hit the city just a couple of blocks away from my hotel. We first met Oak five months ago after he'd left his life in Toronto to work with a crisis response organization near the front lines in Ukraine. When you're that close, if, if you're moving, you become a target. It's like an infantry fighting vehicle. Back on Canadian soil for now, his pre-war life still packed in boxes. This is a piece of a tank here. This is a piece of a tank here. He shared the harsh reality, now facing smaller NGOs working in the escalating war zone. A lot of smaller NGOs are pulling out because a lot of people are not willing or able to go to the places that need the assistance. Delivering food and aid, Oak has had a front row seat to the death and destruction. As the Russian invasion nears its one-year anniversary. Your four-wheel ambulance is stuck in the mud. You have a Ukrainian tank towing you out with a downed power line. And there's artillery fire all around. Mm -hmm. What is going through your mind in that moment? The entire time you're there, you're, you're sitting duck. And obviously, you're now being pulled out by a tank, which is even more of a target than, than the ambulance that we were driving in. Since arriving back in Canada, he spent weeks working through the trauma he's endured. A loud bang would kind of set something off in your mind that you, you should react to it. A contractor by trade, when we first spoke with Oak, he was helping repair damaged homes. That's no longer the case. The further east or south you go um, towards the front line, you really see that the war has ramped up over time. All the small villages, all the bigger towns, they're, they're gone. Oak calls the risks reasonable. His focus is now on returning to help those in dire need. His return to Ukraine is scheduled for March 13th. The duration of his stay depends on donations which have chilled as the winter and war grinds on. Omar. Incredible first-hand stories. Adrian Gobriel in Toronto tonight. Thank you. Police in India have made two arrests one year after a young migrant family froze to death along the Canada-U.S. border. Jagdish Patel, along with his wife and children, were among 11 victims of a human trafficking scheme. Police say the suspects helped arrange their journey from India and that the family was first taken from Toronto to Vancouver and then finally Emerson, Manitoba, where they were left in the freezing cold as they tried to cross into the United States on foot. 
Police finally caught up with Italy's most wanted mafia boss. The notorious killer was on the run for three decades, but today his own failing health led investigators straight to him. CTV's chief international correspondent Paul Workman reports. The man known as the last godfather was led arm in arm out of a private hospital, sensationally ending a manhunt that had baffled and flummoxed Italian police for three decades. As the news spread, there was crying, applauding, and backslapping in the streets of Palermo. Matteo Messina Denaro, nicknamed Diabolic, was 30 when he went on the run, 60 when he was captured. After a morning of tense hospital drama, where the mobster casually came and went for treatment under an assumed name. When I found out the boss of the bosses was arrested, he says, I was incredulous, shocked, and happy. Italy's prime minister congratulated prosecutors and police. It was, she said, a great victory for Italy. With few photos to go on, police made a digital reconstruction of Denaro's face. Informants claimed he'd undergone plastic surgery even had his fingerprints removed. Accused of horrendous bombings, murders, and kidnapping that killed scores. Most notorious of all, the murder of two legendary anti-mafia prosecutors. The arrest is a very, very important event. Obviously, Mr. Matteo Messina Denaro is the keeper of fundamental secrets in very delicate matter. With the arrest of Toto the Beast Reino in 1993, and Bernardo the Tractor Provenzano in 2006. That left Denaro the Diabolic as the last Sicilian godfather, elusive, wanted, and finally brought to justice. Denaro once boasted that he filled a cemetery all by himself. Today, as police closed in, he tried to escape, but then gave himself up without a struggle, Omar. CTV's Paul Workman in London, where today, in a disturbing court case, a veteran police officer became one of Britain's most prolific sex offenders. 48-year-old David Carrick pleaded guilty to 49 charges, including 24 counts of rape against 12 women over 17 years. This is a man who relentlessly degraded, belittled, sexually assaulted and raped women. As time went on, the severity of his offending intensified as he became emboldened, thinking he would get away with it. The Metropolitan Police issued an apology for not recognizing his pattern of abuse earlier. Back in this country, the Bank of Canada says the majority of consumers and businesses believe a mild recession is coming this year. CTV's Ottawa Bureau Chief Joyce Napier on what that might look like and the preparations. Yeah, I just have to plug it in. This beauty salon in Ottawa is getting a bit of a makeover. Owner Lucy Rosano is hoping business will pick up after those punishing COVID years. If we hit a recession, well, I think it couldn't have gotten any worse than being completely shut down for two or three years on and off. But most Canadians think that a recession is inevitable. According to a Bank of Canada survey, more than 70% of consumers and more than 65% of businesses expect a recession.
They're concerned uh, essentially about an economic slowdown and what that might mean for their purchasing power, whether they're going to be uh, seeing some of their asset values depreciate. And as interest rates go up, households see an increase on their debt payments, squeezing them even further. This, as wages, are not keeping pace. Price going up, but the salary still the same. A majority of Canadians, 60%, are finding it more difficult to access credit and about half of Canadian workers don't expect their earnings to catch up to the recent inflation. I've definitely changed the way that uh, that I've done my shopping. I, I like clothing shopping, I haven't done that in forever because I just it doesn't feel joyful anymore. We're trying to spend as little as possible. <laughs> But it's hard to do it that. It doesn't always work. Uncertainty ahead for businesses like Lucy's Salon. What can you do? Uh, there's nothing to do but just kind of just keep pushing, right? And I, I think we're going to be fine. Economists say there is little doubt that the global economy will slow in 2023. But the questions remain by how much and for how long. Tomorrow, Statistics Canada publishes the latest inflation numbers, Omar, and that should give us a good idea. So many struggling with the soaring cost of living. Joyce Napier in Ottawa, where after almost three years of working remotely, many of Canada's 335,000 public service workers were back in the office. It is nice getting to, to run into other team members and get to, to put faces to the names. It's nice to see people, and that part's nice, and uh, it's a bit of a pain in the butt. This was day one of a new federal mandate requiring government employees to work in person up to three days a week. The public service unions oppose the plan and want the Treasury Board to scrap it. Time for a short break, but when we come back, a crash landing and a close call on a Canadian highway. Plus, duck deployment, a feathered flock to keep the pests at bay. Canada's Transportation Safety Board says it will take part in the investigation into this weekend's deadly plane crash in Nepal. Afterward, the aircraft's engines were made in Quebec. Today, search teams retrieved the flight data and cockpit voice recorders, which they hope will determine what caused the Yeti Airlines flight to crash in the foothills of the Himalayas, killing at least 70 people. No injuries, but frantic moments after a small plane crashed onto a busy road north of Toronto today. The plane was trying to land at Buttonville Airport when it smashed through a fence and a piece of the plane ended up under an SUV. The driver was okay. It happened so fast, I, I basically reacted and that's it. But to, to give you an accurate description as to, you know, it's just like you get a flash or something coming at you and I, re, I reacted to it. The cause is under investigation. Two paramedics called to save a man's life in Illinois now face criminal charges of ending it after police say they acted indifferently to a patient's condition in care. Here's CTV's Richard Madden and a warning. Some of these images may be tough to watch. All right, Earl, this is getting a little silly, man. Some of the final moments of 35-year-old Earl Moore Jr.'s life captured in this disturbing police body cam video. Get up on there, Earl. Now, paramedics Peter Cadigan and Peggy Finley are charged with his murder. 
The deadly incident happened back in December when police in Springfield, Illinois, responded to a 911 call for medical assistance. I mean, is he just drunk or is he high? He had alcohol withdrawal hallucinations. He was a severe alcoholic. He hasn't had alcohol in four days. After police evaluated Moore's condition, paramedics were called in. Sit up now. But the video shows the EMTs being aggressive and dismissive, refusing to move him. Because I am seriously not in the mood for this dumb Moore was eventually carried outside, and that's when prosecutors say the EMTs shoved him face down onto the stretcher and tightened the straps across his back. <laughs> Moore died in hospital, an autopsy declared it a homicide. Cause of death as compressional and positional asphyxia. The state's attorney blamed the paramedics for Moore's death. Knowing based upon their training, experience, and the surrounding circumstances that such acts would cause, would create a substantial probability of great bodily harm or death. Advocates call it racial and targeted. I believe that they were treating him rougher because he was black. I think they showed up on the scene not wanting to provide the adequate care that this individual needed. I mean, it was obvious that they didn't want to be there. The paramedics make their first court appearance Wednesday. If convicted, they face up to 60 years in prison. Richard Madden, CTV News, Washington. Still ahead, heartfelt tributes to a hockey hero. He inspired many youths and our community as a whole. The legacy of Gino Ojik, a legendary player who never forgot his roots. Tributes are pouring in for one of the most popular players ever to wear a Vancouver Canucks jersey. The fan favorite had the heart of a warrior and fists to match. CTV's BC Bureau Chief Melanie Nagy reports on Gino Ojik's lasting legacy. No matter if he was on the ice or off, hockey fans would always chant his name. Wayne Gino Ojik was a popular enforcer in the NHL. He was also one of the most loved players in Vancouver Canuck history. He was such an icon here, and uh, anybody that met him loved the guy. Ojik's style of play was fearless and fierce. During his 12 years in the league, most of which were spent in BC, he never backed down from a fight. I knew what my job was. I was an enforcer, and I was there to protect the smaller guys on the team. That drive to defend and support his teammates can be traced back to his home community of the Gitigan Zibi First Nation. He was uh, a very proud uh, Gitigan Zibi Anishinaabeg member. Ojik started playing here when he was a little boy. Playing hockey right here. Mike Cote, a childhood friend, says he was dedicated. Gino was here every weekend since he's uh, since he was three years old. One of Ojik's first coaches was his father, Joe, who was a residential school survivor. He chose his jersey number because it was his dad's residential identification number. Gino Ojik! Ojik never forgot his roots, and after he retired in 2002, he focused on being a role model to Indigenous youth. Bear scores! Ethan Bear, now a Canucks defenseman, considered him a role model. I heard I scored right after he passed, so I think that's pretty powerful. Maybe he was there for me on that shot. 
In recent years, Ojik struggled with a rare illness affecting his heart. The hockey tough guy, who impressed and inspired, died yesterday at age 52. Melanie Nagy, CTV News, Vancouver. More than 100 years after his death, the remains of a Canadian First World War soldier have finally been identified with the help of a Canadian Forces forensic team. The remains, along with this now-restored whistle and watch, were discovered in 2011 in vendin de France, about two hours north of Paris. No picture, but DNA analysis shows they belong to Corporal Percy Howarth. He died at the age of 23 in the Battle of Hill 70 in Laon in August 1917. More than 10,000 other Canadians also died or were wounded in that battle. Corporal Howarth will be buried in a French military cemetery. And nearly a decade after the First World War ended, an actress who would go on to be a legend of Italian cinema and charm Hollywood was born. Today, she died. Gina Lollobrigida's appeal was global. She made her English-language debut, Beat the Devil, in 1953, opposite Humphrey Bogart. And when film roles became more scarce, made a new career for herself as a photojournalist. Last year, she unsuccessfully ran for a seat in the Italian Senate, saying she was tired of hearing politicians argue with each other without ever getting to the point. She was 95, determined until the end. After the break, guardians of the grapes, the ducks on pest control duty. Not all jobs are best left for humans. In some cases, it's better to get all your ducks in a row and let them spread their wings. We leave you tonight with a centuries-old practice catered to keeping vineyards free of pests. CTV's John Venavalli Rao on a winery's secret weapon. You could call it a morning commute unlike any other, and one that's, well, just plain ducky. Here you can see them all adorably marching their way towards the grapevines they've been tasked to protect. An army of mighty ducks given a nickname. We call them the soldiers of the vineyard. Those vineyards just east of Cape Town, South Africa, have seen tourists flock to the area to see the daily duck parade. Here they're being marshaled along a road to get to work. And it's there among the vines that they hunt down snacks of snails, worms, and other pests which are ultimately a threat to the graves. They don't waddle like normal ducks. They walk. They are, they've got an upright um, posture. That upright posture of the breed, called an Indian runner duck, amusingly makes them walk like a penguin. They cannot fly, and because they're tall, they can peck at snails up around the leaves. It means there's no need for chemical pesticides, keeping things organic. So we don't have to spray for any pests in the vineyards. This vineyard first deployed just a few ducks back in the 80s, which has grown at times to more than a thousand. Ducks that have a keen sense of smell. They've been used as a natural pest remover in Asia for centuries, and visitors love them. It's amazing how they behave themselves, walk in the row, and it's like they're in the army or whatever. <laughs> the ducks and their ferocious appetite also produce a nutrient-rich manure, which makes for a great fertilizer. Other vineyards are being encouraged to do the same, and there's one other benefit. After these ducks finish a hard day's work, there's no billing. John Venavelli Rao, CTV News, Toronto. Looks like the tourists are the real lucky ducks. That's a snapshot of this Monday for all of us at CTV National News. Good night. See you tomorrow.